He said, I was up there in that crummy cell, just telling myself crap about myself. And then I'm not worth living. And I just wanted to, you know, he said. And it wasn't until after he told me that his brother had committed suicide that I knew what you know meant. But he just suddenly felt like, okay, there's something to this. There's a reason for me to keep trying. And it was just one of those great moments. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your Daily Helping. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and I am really excited to share with you our guest today and her latest book because it's really really fascinating. Her name is Tina Welling, and she's the author of such best-selling novels as Cowboys Never Cry, Fairy Tale Blues, and Cry Baby Ranch, all published by Berkeley and Penguin. She has been featured in numerous national publications, such as Body and Soul and the New York Times, and she's written seven anthologies as well. I could go on and on, but I just want to get into it because I'm excited about this topic. Tina Welcome to The Daily Helping. It is great to have you here with us today. Oh, thank you, Dr. Richard. I'm really happy to be here. Well, I'm so interested, you know, when people write there, so often they're writing from the heart, they're writing based on experience. So before we talk about your latest book, let's jump in the Tina Welling time machine and tell us what put you on the path you're on today. What is your biggest why? How did this come about for you? Well, I've always been a little... um, uncertain about why I started my uh, journaling workshops in the jail. But um, when I think back, I realized that in some ways I was always heading in that direction. I've always been uh, interested in journaling. I've always felt that it was such an important tool for inner knowledge, self-awareness. And I've always felt that incarcerated people just didn't seem to get any recognition in our community. For example, I live in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and our county jail is three blocks from the town square, that famous town square with the elk antler arches, and hardly anyone knows that it's there. I didn't even know it was there until I started to look into doing some journaling workshops with the inmates there. So was it just that feeling you've had for a while? What what made you, what was the, like the moment where you decided, you know, I need to go into jails and, and teach these inmates how to journal? Well, it was reading uh, Joseph Campbell and reading about his hero's journey mm. and that place in the center that is he calls the belly of the whale. It's like we go to this place, we've all experienced it, it's when we're in a spot that we really don't know ourselves. Everything around us is different. Our role is different. Uh, We might be new parents. We might be um, people who are taking care of our elderly parents, moving to a new city, taking on a new job. Those are 
places in which we just don't know ourselves yet. Incarceration just seemed to fit that bill perfectly. The inmates have their clothes taken away from them. They have everything taken away from them. Uh, jewelry, they have put, the, uh, they're, they're in a, a place by themselves or they're in with strangers. It's just a totally alien situation. And the only freedom is going inward, which is true for all of us. But we have a lot of distractions on the outside here. So I'm curious. So you you go into these jails. What was the reception like when you just said, hey, I'm here. I'm, I'm Tina Welling. and I'm going to teach you how to journal. I can't imagine initially that was very well received. Well, you know, surprisingly, it was. Really? Yes. <laughs> First of all, I went to the jail to just say, could you show me where I'll be having or conducting my workshops? And that's when I thought, oh, no, what have I done? This is this is a an institution. I don't like institutions. I, I live where there's lots of trees and creeks around. And I just felt really uncomfortable. But two days later, I went back to the same place to conduct my first workshop. And those big metal doors opened up and the inmates poured out in their striped tops and bottoms and orange plastic shoes. And I was okay. I cannot explain it, but everybody was smiling and I was probably smiling the biggest. I think they were happy to have something different going on, something to do. And then as it turned out, they just have a lot of things to say. They like talking. So that was what we did. So, and I know you're well known for teaching journaling workshops. You've been doing it for a considerable amount of time. Talk to us about the experience of the inmates. Talk to us about some of the things that came off the page, the lessons learned, the big impacts. I'd love to hear, because I'm sure it was a powerful experience for you. I'd love to hear what that was like. It seems every Tuesday night feels like a pretty powerful experience to me. There's always these moments of you know, awakening or moments of self-compassion for the first time. But we have a range of things that go on in, in there. Typically, I'll go in with maybe five questions and some quotes of famous or well-known people, or just quotes that I find really important or stirring. And then um, after I ask these five questions and they're writing in their journals, then we talk about it. I'll say, so, you know, Jerry, tell me what you put for number three. And we begin talking and then a conversation just happens. And surprisingly, the inmates are very open about their inner life. They are coming down to the workshop, number one, because they are interested in change. They've come to a place in their life in which they they don't know where to go next. They're maybe sober for the first time. They are looking at themselves in a new way. They're remembering who they were what their intentions were, what their dreams are. They're looking for change and they're thinking maybe something will happen in the workshop. And invariably something does. Sometimes it's very small. Sometimes it's kind of big. So you mentioned you come in with five questions. I'm sure people are listening and saying, yeah, I want to know what these questions are. So what are, just give us a few examples of type of things that you encourage people to journal on. So give us a few of these kind of questions you might ask people. I think one of the most um, really beneficial questions I ask, and I'll do this 
with a new inmate that I really don't know where else to go with him, I'll say, write three people that you admire or enjoyed, write their names down in your journal. I did this just, just Tuesday night with a, a new man. And then I ask him to write down all the things that he enjoys and admires about them. All those qualities, characteristics, make a big long list as much as you can think about each of those three people. And then I get to tell them the good news. You know, those characteristics, those qualities, they belong to you or you would not have recognized them in others. You may just have the seed of them, the potential of them, or they may be a strong part of your life. But that that is such good news for these guys because they have very low self-esteem. They're really hard on themselves. I think also we probably should take a step back and talk about journaling in general because you're such an expert on it. And you're known for it. And a lot of people don't do it. So give us the journaling 101. And I promise for everybody listening, I'm sorry we pause this. We're going to get back to the inmate stories because I think they're important. But you know, I think we're ignoring the elephant in the room of, of the power of journaling. So take us through, you know, if somebody has never done it, why they should do it, how they should get started. And, and let's spend a little bit of our time and energy there, if you're willing to, Tina. Oh, yes. I, I really like to be a cheerleader for journaling because I think it's an important tool for self-awareness. There's something about writing with your hand on paper that incorporates the body, the spirit, the mind, the emotions. It pulls it all together. You can write asking yourself a question and you might not get the absolute bottom line answer, but you're going to get a lot of information. You ask the question writing and then you just keep writing whatever occurs to you around that subject. It's really impressive. I don't journal every day. Maybe a couple of weeks can go by, maybe even more time. I journal when I find myself in a place of puzzlement with a relationship, with uh, something that's going on in my life in which I just want to know more. You've got those answers where those questions are. We just have to kind of uncover them. And journaling does the job. Journaling does the job. I love that. So, and I I know that you have these specific workshops where you trained people how to do that. And, and so if you could pick just one skill that you think somebody should have or to to journal with proficiency, I guess is the best way to put it. What do you think that would be? Honesty, just a willingness to claim everything, claim the good things as well as the bad things. I find that a remarkable exercise in itself to just write down the sadnesses in my life, the happinesses, the gratitudes, the worries, the concerns. You're pinning language to these things, and it stops that looping in your mind that goes around and around with the same old stuff. But it's really important to write down the positive things about yourself. And gratitude, gratitude is very healing. And it kind of brings you into the moment and into the place where you are and realize, you know, I'm going to be okay. Beautifully said. I, I know that many people in the mental health profession often encourage the people they work with to journal as part of their quote unquote homework for therapy. So I think uh, very, very sound advice. 
Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. All right, Tina. So let's, um, with that context, let's go back to the journaling with inmates. And so I wonder, I'd love to, because stories are so powerful. I, I would love to hear some of the stories that you've included in your book from some of the inmates that, that were really moving. All right. I'll tell you about Philip. I like his story so much because it was sort of an immediate response for him. He came down from maximum security for the first time. And I gave him that exercise of writing down the three people. And one of the three people were his older brother. And he said that his older brother had uh, committed suicide, but he just the year before, but he was Philip's hero. And when he listed all the qualities of his brother and the other two people that he had listed on, on his exercise, and I told him these qualities belong to him, he just his he just lit up. He just lit up. He suddenly said, oh, and he started calling me dude, whereas before he was very, very polite and adding ma'am at the end of every single sentence. And suddenly he's saying, dude, oh, dude, you don't know what you did for me. He said, I was up there in that crummy cell just telling myself crap about myself and then I'm not worth living. And I, I'm, I just wanted to, you know, he said. And it wasn't until after he told me that his brother had committed suicide that I knew what you know meant. But he just suddenly felt like, okay, there's something to this. There's a reason for me to keep trying. And it was just one of those great moments. That's beautiful. Um, I'm curious, did you, when these inmates would come down, did you know what, what their crimes were? Did they talk about those? Did they, you know, were they able to, in their journaling, talk about, you know, their feelings around what had happened, why they were incarcerated. Let, let's talk about that for a minute. I never ask them what their crime is. Sometimes I will have read about them in the newspaper. And yet most of the time, it doesn't seem to have anything to do with that meeting that we have, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. So I really don't particularly encourage them to talk about their crime because in their first week or two, they want to do that. They want to convince somebody that all of this is wrong. They don't belong in jail. And they would like to tell me their whole story about how they're innocent. I've actually had someone tell me that they were in maximum security because they forgot to turn on their left-hand turn signal. That's just a desire for me to see them who they really are. So I let them know right away. I see them as survivors. I know that they're in there for some bad choice that probably was rooted in addiction. Over the 11 years I've been doing this, I have not met any inmate that isn't 
involved in some kind of addiction. Addiction is a way of numbing out to pain. So I know they're survivors. So whatever's going on with them, it's just some outreach, some way of um, finding finding their way. They're, they're lost and they're just they're just doing whatever they can. And sometimes getting arrested is what saves them. And maybe they know that somewhere deep, deep inside. Interesting. You know, and you said, you, again, uh, I marvel that you've been doing this for 11 years. And so when somebody does something for that amount of time, there's going to be patterns. There's going to be themes that keep reoccurring in the work that they're doing. And so what were those? I mean, and I think you just touched on one of them and that, you know, addiction for many of these inmates seem to be a prevalent theme uh, in their lives or certainly involved to some degree in their incarceration. But what were the other themes and patterns that you observed? I, you know, either emotionally, experientially, I, I'd love to know, Tina. I think the experientially, it is that they have very difficult childhoods. They came up looking at their caregivers as gods in a way. And those those caregivers let them down. And these are people who were abused, uh, neglected. They, they lack connection, but yearn for it. That's a really big pattern. And as a result, then, the other pattern is very low self-esteem, as I mentioned before. They're very hard on themselves. They do a lot of harsh talking. And so one of the things I tell them right off the bat is research shows that when you harsh talk yourself, you are stopping your personal growth. I think a lot of us feel that if we say mean, nasty things about ourselves, we're acknowledging something, we're claiming something, and it's just not true. We don't give ourselves excuses, but we give ourselves understanding. We don't blame others, but we look into those relationships and just try to figure it out. And if we can get to the point of having some self-compassion, then we can often offer that self-compassion to whoever abused us as children. We understand then they too are suffering. Happy people don't make other people miserable. I love that. That should be in a bumper sticker and everybody should have it on the back of their vehicles. So what do you hope that a reader would gain from reading your book? I would hope that they would look at inmates as people who share their suffering. We're all suffering from something. We all have these issues and problems and challenges. But instead, we tend to read the article in the newspaper and it'll happen to me and I'll just feel angry. I'll feel puzzled. I'll just feel like, what's the matter with this person? Then when I meet them and I hear their story and I understand what's going on with them and their struggles, I see that we are humans together. We have so much in common. I would love for people to read the stories in the newspapers and understand whatever is going on. This comes from suffering. This didn't start with this person that you're reading about. It started with whoever was taking care of them as infants, probably. I, it, Tina, I, I love this message. And when, when I worked as a clinical psychologist, I did a lot of forensic evaluations in jails, in county jails. And I will admit and be the first one to admit that I was pretty darn scared the first time I walked into one of these. 
But as you sit there and they would bring somebody to me, much like they probably brought them to you, they'd come out and they're in the shackles and then they sit them down. And it's a question of should they get a pencil or should they not get a pencil because of violence, past violence, whatever. But, but as I would sit there and talk to them and hear why they were there, and of course, I was doing, I was there for a very different reason than you were there, but you get to hear the stories. You get to hear that they are people. And, and I do agree with your sentiment that a lot of, a lot of why people are incarcerated in this country stems from unresolved trauma, which leads to addiction. And addiction leads to poor choices many times. So I, I applaud, greatly applaud the work that you're doing. Um, before we wrap up, there's a question that I ask everybody who comes on this show. So I'm excited to hear your answer. And that is, uh, Tina, what is your biggest helping? That one most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our chat today? Hmm. Guess it would be to just give everyone a chance to, first of all, you know, look deeply into yourself, realize that you're okay, that you have goodness, that you're doing your best, that in your, your way you are a survivor, and that so is everyone else everyone else that you meet on the streets. And don't be afraid to consider volunteering in your county jail. It's a wonderful experience. I get something out of it every single time. I wouldn't be doing it for 11 years if I wasn't. I love it. Tina, tell us the name of the book one more time and where people can find out more about you online and get their hands on the book. Okay. The title of the book is Tuesdays in Jail, What I Learned teaching journaling to inmates. Of course, it's on Amazon. It's in your local store, Barnes & Noble, independent stores as well, tinawelling.com. All right. And for those of you in your car at the gym, we got you covered. Everything Tina Welling will be available in the show notes at thedailyhelping.com. Tina, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. I love the work that you're doing. Please don't stop it. It's fantastic. Me. And it's uh, please keep doing what you're doing. It's so important. Thank you, Dr. Richard. And thank you for having me on your show. I'm so pleased. Absolutely. I loved it. And I also want to say thank you to each and every one of you who took time out of your day to listen to our conversation. If you liked it, if you love what you heard, go give us a follow on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review because that is what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for somebody else, even if you don't know who they are, and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others. 